Welcome to Follow, a Latter-day Saint scripture poetry podcast. My name is Mary Jane Rice. Thank you for joining me today. The reading this week is Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16, Luke chapter 24, and John chapters 20 to 21. The poem I'm sharing today was inspired by Thomas's refusal to believe the other disciples' testimony that Jesus had been resurrected, as recorded in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. If you'd like to read along, you can find this poem on my website at maryjanerice.com. Let's begin. Thomas. It's easy for you to say I should have believed Mary, who mistook him for a gardener, or those on the road to Emmaus who didn't recognize his voice, or all the disciples in hiding who said he appeared to them behind closed doors. You have their written testimonies of his glory and godhood four times over. From a distance you see it all complete. I was close, walked dusty miles, ate and sang, listened and prayed, watched and wondered. I witnessed him betrayed, beaten, bleeding hand and foot. I saw him lowered, wrapped, laid in a tomb. I touched the wounds, pressed cold skin to seek pulse. How could I comprehend until he came to me as he did to others, called me by name, held me close, made whole my half-believing heart. A lot has been written about Thomas. In the past, he was disparaged and called Doubting Thomas, which turned into a proverbial name for anyone who expressed skepticism where people thought faith was in order. Nowadays, there has been a bit of a reaction against that view as people have come to his defense Thomas really did show faith by continuing to stay with the other disciples, even when he struggled to believe their accounts. While my sympathies lie with this latter view, there must have been a reason Jesus said to Thomas, Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. It was the Lord himself who drew attention to this difference. Perhaps he meant to comfort all of us, later followers, who would never see him in this life. To show us that faith before seeing can be just as good, if not better, than faith after seeing. We benefit from the reassurance that sight is not the only or even the best evidence of truth. We can still build our faith on other things that we trust, including testimonies from reliable witnesses and our own experiences with the Spirit. Note that Thomas probably believed his friends were trustworthy, but he still struggled to believe their accounts of the resurrected Jesus. Why was that? Uh, Maybe his grief was so strong that it made it hard for him to not be pessimistic or to assume his friends were deceived by their own sorrow. We have feelings for a reason, but not every feeling that we have leads us to good conclusions. Sometimes strong feelings of doubt or negativity are the result of stress and anxiety that as humans we're all prone to. I'm going to share some personal thoughts. I have no idea if there is scriptural evidence for any of this, so take it with a grain of salt. I believe that no matter our 
personal doubts or what level of knowledge we start with, we are entitled as individuals to receive personal revelation of the truth if we seek it and to receive it in a way that we can understand. I know several people who are atheists or agnostic and their reasons for doubt in God vary. Some seem more like they're angry with God because they don't like what they think he has allowed or caused to happen to them. So they choose not to believe because that helps them resolve some of the pain and conflict that they feel over those difficult situations. Others weren't raised to be religious, so they so they have a hard time seeing a reason to start believing now, especially if they feel like they've got a pretty good handle on life. And then there's others who don't seem to have anything against religion, but they are just naturally skeptical and need something that feels very real to them before they will believe. Everyone has different personalities, so I imagine that there are as many other reasons for doubt as there are for faith. Um, I'm going to share a story about a BYU psychology professor I took a class from. I won't mention his name because even though it was over 30 years ago, I I don't know how he would feel about having this story recounted on a podcast, uh, but he didn't keep it a secret. So I will share the details, but not his name. This man was born and raised in the church and he married a woman who was a faithful member of the church. But sometime early in their marriage, he confessed to her that he just didn't believe in God. He was just one of those naturally skeptical people who honestly didn't feel it. I don't think he held anything against the church, but he saw no point in participating when he didn't have personal faith in it. But he did have a personal moral code. And it was this, that he would live self-congruently. To him, self-congruence meant that he would carefully examine his actions to make sure they lined up with what he felt deep down was the right thing to do, whatever that was. So based on that code, he felt like he needed to give the Book of Mormon a chance. He felt like he needed to read and pray about it and test it on its own terms. So he did. And he didn't get an answer. And as far as he was concerned, that was just confirmation that there was no God to answer. So he put it aside and he continued living his life. He and his wife stayed together. She continued attending church as they began a family. And every few years, he would get this nagging feeling that he needed to re-examine whether he thought he had done enough to test the promise of the Book of Mormon. He would decide that he hadn't done quite enough to be really self-congruent. So he would try reading and praying about it again. And again, he wouldn't receive an answer. So he would set it aside, satisfied for a while, and go on. When his oldest child was a teenager, he had that same nagging feeling, what he later recognized to be a prompting from the Spirit. Once again, he decided to read the Book of Mormon and put it to the test, and he said that this time it seemed to him as if all the answers to his study and prayers over the years that had previously been withheld came in a sudden, unexpected flood, and this time he knew for himself. So I really think that we should be patient with others who doubt. We should be patient with ourselves if we doubt. If we lack a testimony that we want to have, we can look forward with assurance that we will receive that testimony 
as we keep reading, studying, and listening for the answers. But it can take a while. I found this quote by Boyd K. Packer that I think has good advice about how to pursue personal revelation. He taught, It is not wise to wrestle with the revelations with such insistence as to demand immediate answers or blessings to your liking. You cannot force spiritual things. Such words as compel, coerce, constrain, pressure, demand, do not describe our privileges with the Spirit. You can no more force the Spirit to respond than you can force a bean to sprout or an egg to hatch before its time. You can create a climate to foster growth, nourish, and protect, but you cannot force or compel. You must await the growth. Do not be impatient to gain great spiritual knowledge. Let it grow. Help it grow. But do not force it or you will open the way to be misled. Now I'll read the poem for you again. Thomas. It's easy for you to say I should have believed Mary, who mistook him for a gardener, or those on the road to Emmaus who didn't recognize his voice or all the disciples in hiding who said he appeared to them behind closed doors. You have their written testimonies of his glory and godhood four times over. From a distance you see it all complete. I was close, walked dusty miles, ate and sang, listened and prayed, watched and wondered. I witnessed him, betrayed, beaten, bleeding, hand and foot. I saw him lowered, wrapped, laid in a tomb. I touched the wounds, pressed cold skin to seek pulse. How could I comprehend until he came to me as he did to others, called me by name, held me close, made whole my half-believing heart? I have some extra lyrics for you today. This song is on a different theme than the poem I just shared. They're inspired by the account in John chapter 21, verses 16 and 17, where the resurrected Savior pleads for Peter to feed his sheep. Peter had been under the Savior's direct care for a long time. Now it was time for Peter to offer that same care to Jesus's other little lambs. These lyrics are for a children's song set to music by my friend Jeanette Booth. At the end of the podcast, I'll share a digital arrangement of that music. Now for the lyrics. I am my Savior's little lamb. I know he shepherds me. He hears my prayers in the darkest night and answers faithfully. I gratefully pray to thank him each day for blessing me with love as he gently guides me home again. To live with him above. The Savior has many little lambs who wander in the cold. They need a shepherd to bring them home to rest within the fold. So humbly I'll pray for courage each day to seek his lambs with love and gently guide them home again to live with him above. That's all for today. You can find more of my poetry at facebook.com slash Latter-day Saint Poetry or visit maryjanerice.com. That's M-E-R-R-I-J-A-N-E rice.com. 
my contact information is in the show notes, along with a link to where you can download a copy of the sheet music for Little Lambs. Please stay tuned at the end of this episode to hear a digital instrumental arrangement of that song. Thank you for listening. May your time spent in the scriptures this week be rewarding.